0: Hi, my name is Pat Blythe and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is Tuesday, February 16th, 2021. Thank you for tuning into Episode 4 of the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. As most of you know, I'm a photojournalist. I love being around, photographing, listening to, and observing people. The focus of Love the Music is the music, but more importantly, the people themselves. These interviews began early June 2020 and were simply an idea for my column. It grew into 50 interviews over a five-month period, all Canadian artists living in various parts of the world from Toronto to Beijing. The conversations continue into 2021. I'm hoping this forum will be a continuing voice for those in the music industry, an industry that has been so acutely affected by this pandemic. The gig economy, particularly arts and entertainment, has been decimated, many people leaving it entirely. No one knows what will be left once we can safely come out of hiding. For many, the struggle is just beginning. These conversations are raw and except for my guideline of questions, fairly free-flowing and unscripted. We talked indoors and outdoors, so for additional entertainment, you'll hear lots of city sounds, the odd air conditioner, lawnmowers, and a few bird calls. Future podcasts will include the band April from Hamilton, blues artist Cheryl Lescom, the multi-talented indigenous artist and author Tom Wilson, drummer Davide Dorenzo, David Hines, the band Courage My Love, Samantha Martin, Shakira Saeda, Tim Vacanti, The Dream Boats, violinist Victoria Yeh, Ottawa band The Peptides, singer-songwriter and now DJ Julian Taylor, Pat Silver from Sing Toronto, jazz pianist and producer Eddie Bullen, Brandon Gregory from Drop Top Alibi, Kirk Reed from The Reed Effect, Gord Depp from The Spoons, transplanted Toronto artist Ember Swift in Beijing, and so many more. Grab your beverage of choice and tune in every Tuesday morning at 6.01 a.m. or plug us in while you're relaxing during cocktail hour or driving in your car. That fabulous piece of music you hear at the beginning and the end of every podcast was written and performed by Eddie and Quincy Bolin and Paul DeLong, specifically for Love the Music. I cannot thank you three enough. Today my conversation is with vocalist Keisha Wynn. I met Keisha by happenstance six years ago when the Toronto Blues Society was celebrating its 30th anniversary at the Palais Royal here in Toronto. I photographed the event and, of course, captured Keisha's performances. In fact, although I didn't realize it at the time, I was capturing some of the legends of blues with my camera. When I saw the Machadesh Parish perform at Mariposa in 2019, I recognized many of the faces I had photographed at that celebration four years prior. In 2016, I happened to see a post of the passing of John Mays from Fathead and reached out to Keisha regarding some photographs I had of the two of them performing together. That started the conversation flowing and it continues to this day. Keisha grew up here in Toronto in a Jamaican-Canadian home listening to reggae, Motown, gospel and R&B, the beginning of her musical education. She followed up by entering the jazz program at Humber College in the mid-90s and has been working in the entertainment industry nonstop ever since. She has performed as a choir singer in the miniseries Self Made, the story of Madam C.J. Walker, which is currently playing on Netflix, and in the movie The Clark Sisters, First Ladies of Gospel. Keisha is president of QW Productions Corp. and founder of Canadian Black Entertainment. She has traveled to Asia, Europe, North America, and the Caribbean to share her love and passion for music through her singing. An engaging personality, a born singer, and entertainer, Keisha's powerful and emotive singing can make you weep or bring you joy.
1: So my name is Keisha Wint, and I am a vocalist. I've been singing from a very young age, started in the church, um but I sing with a lot of groups, especially with Lance Anderson, do background vocals, studio sessions, and I'm also my own self as a, as a performer entertainer.
0: And you have QW Productions as yes, well.
1: Yes, that's right. I have a couple of companies. I have QW Productions, which puts on uh, shows that showcases the amazing uh, talent that we have here in Toronto. And I also have a company called KJ Group, Which, uh, right now, we have a musical called Dandelions in the Wind. And um, I'm a producer of that and also director. And the third one is I'm the founder of Canadian Black Entertainment. So, started that. Very busy, yes. So, we're recognizing Canadian Black artists and uh, just putting some spotlight on what what they do. Yeah. So,
0: where were you... Um, And what were you doing a year ago? And where did you expect to be now?
1: So a year ago, I remember posting all the gigs that I was doing in the month of July. And it was insane. I remember people going, what? (laughs) I think I was booked um, probably every day except for about maybe five days. In July so I was everywhere there was festivals there were were concerts there were um, studio sessions you name it that's what I was doing Um, I thought that this year would be quite the same or even more because our our careers as artists especially well for me it was growing it kept getting bigger and bigger and get, get doing exciting things never would have imagined that it would be so desolate so quiet um, it's been life-changing pivotal moment
0: so your current situation are you writing is what's your current situation now just
1: I've been writing um, I actually brought my keyboard up to the main part of my house because of the sunlight so started writing I started actually working more on my keyboard skills because I've I play a little piano, but usually there's always a a pianist on the gig, right? So I don't really have to work on it. All I have to do is work on the vocals. Um, So I've been working on that because um, hopefully I will be able to do just a solo gig as me singing and playing piano. Uh, So working on that. Um, I've been trying to put some uh, attention on a couple of the companies that I'm doing that I started up. But mainly I've been doing a lot of uh, video, virtual video recordings for music videos, Uh, artists that are doing things just to get their name out and stuff. So I've been doing some background vocals, even in a choir setting. Mm -hmm. So that's been fun, I must say. But I am tired of the screen.
0: (laughs) So has the pandemic and the isolation changed your approach and, and, and how you're keeping yourself relevant?
1: Absolutely. I still post. I think social media has a big role in us artists being out there and being relevant. So I I try and post every day as much as possible, even if it's not something musical, just posting something. It helps with the algorithm. But um, what I've been trying to do is um, I got together for the first time with a couple of uh, music mates this past Monday, and we just had a jam. And boy, did it feel good to just play music. And we were there from 1 o'clock to 6 p.m., just jamming and recording. So we are actually going to put snippets of that jam on, on our social media so that people can see what's been going on. So from that, we decided to do this every other week until, you know, this pandemic is over well for us as musicians I feel like we get the short end of the stick with you know we're not able to perform anywhere really so we're going to continue doing this just to keep our chops up and boy can I tell you we were all exhausted we have lost our stamina we really don't have it anymore it was like I came home and I said I gotta sleep and I slept I think till the next day until about one o'clock in the afternoon that's how exhausting I was, because I always have explained to people that being a vocalist musician, it's like doing an aerobic exercise nonstop. You know, the energy, singing, smiling, body's moving, you're singing, you're breathing. And when you're doing that all the time, you don't feel it. But because we've been stopped for about four months, yeah. it's really taken effect. So we're just, um, I'm just doing that, doing trying to do little fun stuff, trying to get us together socially distanced I like to say physically distanced by the way because
0: so do I, because we're still being social we're still
1: being social so yeah. anyhow um trying that and I'm actually doing a lot of
0: pausing and reflecting is, is the uh, the isolation directly affecting how you're writing people are collaborating over video yeah. and how are they finding that you know, yeah. Because usually artists, when you're writing material, you're in a room together, you're riffing off each other. Doing it virtually, I would think, would be a little bit challenging. I think so.
1: Um, but I think we are quite resilient as uh, human beings, and we are trying to make the best of a insane situation. Um, I absolutely agree with you. We get energy from each other when we're all in the same room. And that's why I came together with a few people and we came into a room and just playing together and the energy and laughing and dancing, it really helped, I think. It helped our psyche. Helped me, definitely. I think that people should, especially with how our weather is, get together in a park if you want and just write a song. I think more face-to-face you know, sit on a porch if you need to. But I think there's something to say for being face-to-face and being together.
0: How are you coping with this personally?
1: I thought I was doing well. I must say the first day that uh, the government announced that we're in isolation mode, I panicked, I freaked out. And then hence came my garbage day videos.
0: (laughs) I saw those. (laughs)
1: My, the first one was the recycling day and then the next one was garbage. And then I was like, okay, we'll leave it at that. Cause I, I kind of wanted to not try and force the momentum of it. Like I just felt that I had to do something quirky and fun since I wouldn't be able to wear an evening gown for quite some time. The, NBA,
0: the incentive <laughs> for my column on pandemic fashion.
1: That's right. <laughs> And actually, it started a little trend because there was people I can't remember where it was in east- Gulenberry that where they started doing it a garbage day uh dress up thing where they dress up and go and take the garbage out and i I think there was somebody that actually gave money uh as uh, a reward to anybody who had the best costume when they went out, so that was fun um but I must say I struggled. Um, I didn't realize how much I was struggling Mm. until late May, June, when um, I actually was hospitalized. Oh, really? Yeah, I was, it was, the pandemic was the first layer, I think. There was other issues that were going on in my life. And um, so from there, then the pandemic hit. And then I'm cooped up in the house for how long. And I'm working more hours than I was before. I'm sitting at a computer, my body is failing, I'm eating all this junk food. It just piled up and then something really big happened in our world and it just, it was like the the catalyst that broke the emotional dam. So I was admitted into the hospital and they actually thought I had suffered a mild heart attack. So yeah, they thought with the tests and everything that they did, my blood pressure was skyrocketed it was high they realized it was stress and anxiety and i thank god that that's what it was Um, i'm good now Uh, my blood pressure is back to normal and i just never thought you would never think that we'd be in this right now when the pandemic hit we were supposed to be on our way to panama I had, I'm always the late packer, I, I start packing like the day before, and it was, we were supposed to leave on the, I think it was the, or Thursday, and we were told on the Monday it wasn't happening. That was a blow. And then Thursday, we're told we're in isolation
0: mode. It was just piling up. Was It, the, it wasn't the George Floyd, was that the one that, is that what triggered you? Yes. Yeah. You're good now. I am, I'm so good. And you've had your live jam session. I did. So that's really lifted your spirits up, which is great. Oh, yeah. Anyways, live performance um, is pretty key to artists and the development of their careers. So, and of course, we don't have any now um, as far as live in front of a full-blown audience. So what do you think the music scene is going to look like in the future?
1: It doesn't look so promising. And I'm usually that optimistic person which kind of gives me a bit of fear as to, okay, so what what now? What next? This is what I know. This is what I love to do. So how do I continue doing what I love to do? When you have um, big companies, Broadway shows, Mervish productions, all being standstill until 2021. And we still don't even know what the numbers are going to be like. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're going to have to change uh, their pay structure for, um, you know, in terms of people buying tickets. There's going to be discounted tickets, I'm sure. Uh, I really don't know. I just don't feel optimistic about it right now, especially when you have our government making us feel like we are at the bottom of the, the, the list in terms of, you
0: know,
1: artists in general, general. like, you know, the, the, with the CERB ending, um, it was only for four months and we had to push to get it extended. So they extended for two more months. Yet you're only allowed to make up to a thousand dollars a month in order for you to get the CERB. You feel like you're caught between a rock and a hard place, no matter what you do. And after Serb is done, then what? Because we're still being told that we cannot sing. And I'm sure it's going to go past September that they're going to say, yeah, still no singing in clubs and whatever and dancing. And so
0: Yeah, and by the time you get into the fall, clubs are quieting down. Yeah. Patios won't be out, so there won't even be music in the patios. That's right. Human beings... It's innate for them to plan. We're always planning, mm-hmm. you know, going forward. So, um, did you, ha- are you, are you thinking of planning? Are you planning in your head, planning ahead
1: at I've, all? <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> sort um, of
0: focusing on, you know, the businesses and pushing them forward.
1: Honestly, my faith in God has had to grow immensely during this time. And and it has. Believe you me. And I've always heard this saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And so that for me tells me, you know what? He's in control. I have it on my fridge. God is in control. Because I have to be reminded that no matter how far in advance that I plan something, it's gonna be beyond my control if something happens. Just like this pandemic. I planned a bunch of things to happen. I have shows that have been canceled. Um, I, I was saying postpone before to be optimistic, but now I'm just like, they're canceled. And I don't know. I had resigned from my part-time job at the church as music and creative arts yeah. director. And Sorry, I resigned yeah. back in January. I had written the letter, but in February, I handed it beginning of February or end of January. I can't remember. But then my notice was for June 30th because I knew they needed time to find someone and I didn't know this pandemic was going to take place or else maybe I would have stayed on a bit longer. But I, I have really nothing planned. I'm almost I'm just kind of observing um, what other uh, production companies are doing to see what happens. Because at this point, as a musician, single mother who, you know, has a house and expenses and stuff, I cannot be putting money into things like I used to. Right. And a lot of times um, as a producer, you're putting money into things and you're not getting any money in return very rarely. But you're doing it because you love what you do. So I have to think wisely in that situation and and try and manage and just see what happens. And then if, if things start to pick up and could see that people are wanting to come back into a venue With no issues, maybe they have to wear masks until a vaccine comes into play. But that's hard for us singers because we're the ones apparently that are spreading droplets. (laughs) So, yeah,
0: no plans. How's your motivation been? Meh. Good monosyllabic answer. I like (laughs) that. That brings us into our first musical break. Keisha has just recently released her new single, Black Shoes. Performing with her are her bandmates Shamaka Ali, Duff Music, Roger Williams, and Joe Palawan. Individually, these musicians have performed with Shaka Khan, Al Green, Shakira Saeeda, Julie Black, and the Delphonics, to name just a few. Black Shoes is a metaphor written to bring into focus the issues people of color have faced from slavery to the present day. It is our hope that this song will raise questions and understanding, as we continue to strive for positive changes within government institutions to ensure equality for all.
2: Black shoes, you keep coming round my way So fine, even carry a shine, but you're really not our kind. Black shoes, I see you coming different style. What you gonna do when you stand in by What you gonna do when the ride gets tough? What you gonna do? Election. Over 400 years of oppression. I think you've left an impression. So quick to hurt, trusting you is not an option. Oh, black you with the white soul. Can't you see that you're worn out?
0: to love the music episode four of the pandemic interviews conversations in a changing time we just heard black shoes the latest release from keisha Wint. you are listening to a pre-recorded interview i had with keisha back in july 2020 do you think anyone could have possibly have been prepared for something like this in their career especially in the music industry hmm. i mean they're always telling us be prepared be prepared but could anybody really be prepared there, I don't, I don't that think pol- we've ever seen any, like, I've never no. seen this
1: in my lifetime no. that you're told that you have to stay in your home because this is a life and death situation of this coronavirus, right? And I, I think for musicians, when you are a full on musician, that this is what you do for a living, it's very hard to be prepared for something like this because I feel we do not get paid enough for what we do so we can't really put a nest egg aside and um say okay for a rainy day it's usually like for me specifically i know that as soon as about december 20th hits gigs are like stopped until probably maybe february and february because of black history month things pull come together But the issue is that I have with Black History Month and people putting on Black History Month events, they don't pay much. It's like, oh, can you do this as a pro bono or can you do this for free? So the whole of February is a lot of things are pro bono mainly. And then March things start to kind of pick up. So you've got like three months of nothing. And then when you hit March, you're trying to catch up from whatever credit you've used to pay bills and whatever. It's just the cycle. So the cycle we've been living in. So no one would have ever thought <laughs> that this pandemic was going to happen and we should be prepared. That's my, my personal experience. But this is why I think a lot of musicians are now looking at a full-time job of some kind. Thank goodness a lot of my family and close friends, they were not affected um, by, because of the type of jobs that they have school teachers one one is uh works for a bank one works as frontline at a hospital one one's a cop you know none of them were affected um but i I'm, i think i'm the only one in my entire family that was heavily affected with no income and i i'm not worried but i worry for my family how they worry for me so i could see my mom is quite you know she'll send me more food
0: Sixty-four. <laughs> okay. My mother's ninety. She still worries, right? They, they never stop. They but never stop. What do you think it's going to take to get people back out to see live music? A vaccine, which they still don't even have one for HIV. I'm not sure how fast they're going to get one for, right? A coronavirus
1: that keeps changing. It's a- absolutely. I think vaccine, and also for the government to say, okay, life is back to normal because you know, like how you said, you, you don't really watch TV. I don't really watch TV. I stopped watching TV. I actually just started turning it back on uh, January 1st when my family came. There was never a TV in this room until January 1st of this year. And I will turn it on every now and then if I'm cooking something, but I cannot watch the news. And the news puts fear into people's minds. Social media puts fear into people's minds. So with that, and I'm not negating the fact that... Um, that we shouldn't we should be wearing masks. Yes, we need to be wearing masks, but there's an, an entire level of fear of how they put that information out that makes people just get an anxiety about it and fearful so they're not going to want to go out to venues at this point. I remember when the pandemic hit. I went to Walmart to go grocery shopping. And I swear, I went down an aisle, and this couple looked like they were going to scale the shelves to get away from me. And I had a mask on. They had a mask, but they were just terrified. And I'm just like, I'm not kissing you. I'm not hugging you. We're just in the same aisle.
0: Fear is the new four-letter F word. Oh, oh,
1: that's that's a good quote right there. I love that. Can I post that? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Put your name on that.
0: One of the questions I have, most musicians rely heavily on touring and selling their merch mm-hmm. at various events. Do you think charging for live streaming is going to be the new normal? Because they're starting, that's what that's building up to. They're actually starting that already. Charging for, for live streaming and also maybe working that in with some cross-promotions or sponsorships.
1: Yeah, it, I think they both have to go hand in hand because when you buy tickets you know that certain amount of people, that ticket belongs to one person. When you charge for a live stream, you don't know how many people are in that home viewing. You would hope people would be honest and say, oh, I'm gonna pay for three tickets because there's three yeah. people in my home. But I would have to probably say nine times out of 10, people are probably just buying one ticket and everyone who's there benefits from seeing it. So. I'm not sure how artists are going to be able to make a viable income that way. It, it's, it's something, but I don't think it's sustainable, especially when you have things that are not live stream. We know that it can be ripped off and shown again somewhere, right? So that's the whole issue with live streaming. And I've had a hard time grappling with it, you know, because... People are like, oh, you should live stream this, live stream that, and I said, well, number one, it ruins the quality of your performance. As to you know, I know for myself when it comes to QW Productions, there's a whole element of people coming to uh, into the space, feeling the energy from the actual performance. Right, it's shared shared back and forth. The sound quality. I don't know what your speaker system is like at home or if you're listening to it on a computer. You know, all these things. And also the eating at the same time while watching the show and getting up and dancing. It's this whole package that you're missing when you're watching a live stream at home. And also, you can take—you can turn it off. Someone can call, interrupt, you pause it. It's not the same. It's not the same at all. So I forgot to mention that I have been doing... Um, couple of vocal lessons as well people have approached me and I'm like but I actually love doing it so I've been doing that from home through zoom chat Mm -hmm. so I have one vocalist in Antigua who I met last year yeah and she wanted some vocal lessons so I'm training her and I have um, a friend's son out in uh, who lives out in Aurora and somebody else who lives out in Ajax a a man who's uh, in musicals and stuff like that. So seems like that's the direction things are heading for me. I just don't haven't promoted it because it, I'm still, it's still up in the air for me. Is this something I really want to do full time?
0: So some of the research that I started looking um, at different things and what was happening in the music industry online and sort of Googling a few things. One of the, one of the interesting things I found, the sale of musical instruments. Yeah actually have skyrocketed. Online sales of musical instruments have skyrocketed. Not only that, but people are starting to pull, you know, I used to play the recorder 20 years ago, or I played the flute, or Mm -hmm. my my guitar has been in the corner, you know, collecting dust or whatever. Um, So they're pulling it out, starting to relearn these instruments all over again. So with all of this going on, um, one of the things I thought, is there going to be a new renaissance in music? People experimenting more, people maybe changing the type of music that they play. What ha- I mean, it's, it's almost comparable to what happened in the 60s, because the music was very reflective of the day as well. Even if you take out the whole Black Lives Matter and, all and just remove mm-hmm. that, just with the pandemic alone, it's just been a huge, a huge change for everybody. Yeah. Now you add in everything that's going on around us with the protests. So... Is the music gonna reflect that? Do you think there's gonna be a new renaissance? People trying new different things, experimenting?
1: Absolutely. I think there will be a lot of that. I also think that um, because music is so therapeutic, very healing as to why people have started to return to an instrument. Um, I think life, the entire world has been just, and we were forced to stop and put a pause and to reset ourselves. And so a lot of people have just been working, working, working. And because of the pause, they realized, wait a minute, let me pick up an instrument. I have the time now to do that. And I, I'm hoping that it, it's a revelation as to the fact that music is needed. It is powerful. And this is why people love it. You, you, no one can ever tell me, I don't think I've ever heard anyone tell me, or ever heard someone say that they do not like music at all. There's a different taste and flavor for anybody and everybody, but music is universal. I think it's gonna be a big revelation to a lot of people.
0: It is a universal language for yep. sure. And it's a, un- you, it's a, a, a language that unites, unites all cultures, absolutely. everybody.
1: Look at Woodstock.
0: You look at the picture of Woodstock and somebody posted somewhere, 500,000 people all sitting peacefully. Yeah. Different races, colors, religions, whatever. Everybody came together in one field. Half a million people yep. for, you know, three days of music. Yeah. And it was peaceful. Entire thing.
1: Yep. On a piece of farmland.
0: Yeah. Just... You know, in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. Right? <laughs> in mud.
1: I remember Cheryl Lescom telling me that she was on her way. <laughs> She was on her way to Woodstock and she was hitchhiking and some guy picked her up and she said, well, I just never made it.
0: <laughs> Do you think this is going to encourage more collaboration with musicians? Yes. You because, know, and uh, even with, and even one step further with venue owners, everybody needs help. Everybody's uh, in the same boat.
1: Yeah. But I think venue, yeah, you're right. Venue, well, depends on who's funding the venue. If they have the money. I don't think they would really care as much. They would do away with, with certain things. But if they don't, then yes, I think there could be some collaborations, depending on the relationship you have with the venues. So that's a good point because I have a great relationship with the venue that I do a lot of the QW production the Lula, shows. The Lula Land, yeah. yeah. So that um, I haven't heard anything from them in months, which is. Kind of scaring me because I don't know what's going to happen to their establishment. They were just in the middle of renovations yeah. uh, to make it uh, a bigger room. So cannot be every man for themselves, so to speak. Like it venues. If you want us to come, let's work out a deal, right? Don't start charging mass amounts of money to rent out the place yeah. now. Let's try and work out something. Maybe you take the bar and. You know, and we take the door. Something just to offset costs and stuff and because the struggle has been crazy. Um, I took my son to the barber last week. The prices are like ridiculous. The price was $40 to cut my son's hair. And he's 13. $40. So this is what, this is what we're in. Yeah. This is the type of life we're in. Now everyone's going to skyrocket their price where I feel that everybody should... Try and bring their prices down, and let's try and build backups small. So, yeah, I think the collaborations would be a great idea, depending on the relationships we have. I think the, the most help will be the musicians, more than venues. Venues usually have a backing, some kind of insurance policy or whatever. Musicians don't. So we're going to be the, the, the starving musicians, quote-unquote, trying to make ends meet. My fear is that we go back to just accepting anything, which when I say accepting anything, I'm talking about pay, like almost next to nothing, which will now set a precedent and allow venues to say, well, we'll just pay you this because so-and-so came in here and did it for
0: half the price, so we're just paying you that. And on that note, it's time for some music. This next song we'll hear is a beautiful vocal arrangement on Hold My Head Up High from Keisha's first album, The Journey. Hang tight, though. The conversation is about to delve into what can be a rather touchy subject, the rather quiet, borderline vanishing act of the Toronto Musicians' Union. Love the Music, Episode 4 of the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. We just heard Hold My Head Up High from Keisha's first album, The Journey. You are listening to a pre-recorded interview I had with Keisha back in July 2020. And on that note, that's a really good point because somebody else that I was talking to during this these interviews, they said that you know a lot of blame has been put on the music business as a whole for undercutting musicians, you know, mm. more and more and more. Yep. And his theory was that actually musicians are doing it to themselves. A band would be booked into a venue to play and the venue owner said, Well, you know, I can only pay you this much I know that we agreed on this and this is a you know a few hundred dollars less. Um well what would happen is the band would accept that and then the band was booked somewhere else the venue owners would talk and the venue owner A would say, Well, I you know, you're paying them you know, a thousand bucks, man, I got them for six hundred.
1: Exactly.
0: And so they had the venue owner come back and say, Well you played with him for six, so I'm gonna only pay you six. So it started going down, 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 down. But but the bands started undercutting themselves to the point where Mm -hmm. now you have the tip jar. And quite honestly the union wasn't really doing much about it either.
1: I was just about to say that. So there's a couple of issues that you stipulated. Yes, musicians have been undercutting uh, ourselves. And what's happened is the younger generation, they want the gigs. So we all know it takes time to get into the music industry. So they want to get those gigs and invite all their friends and stuff like that, so what they do is they undercut. And they get into the establishment, and when there's a well-seasoned band that's had that spot or that night for how many nights, that's when the venue should be like, well, Loyalty, like this, unless the band has been absolutely ridiculous to deal with and they want somebody new in, but money talks. If a venue is going to save money, they're going to go with the cheaper band. Number two, we have people that are, uh, that are musicians by hobby only. They have a full time job working 40 hours a week, get make great money. They don't really need the the musician money. So they undercut. They say, Oh, we'll do it. For way less, I've experienced that many times in the nothing. wedding, or for nothing, for in the wedding scene, you know, wedding band. We were getting paid quite well for some time, and then all of a sudden, these new bands start up. They just start up because they want a part of the wedding scene as well. They want to, you know, pay for a vacation or a new deck, and they undercut like literally by half. When we, this is our industry, this is our living. So that number three. Musicians' Union has been of no help. When I was a part of the Musicians' Union, and I must say, I allowed for my membership to lapse by accident. I had not realized I didn't pay for my dues. Um, So I never went back into it because the only time I really needed them was for P2 to go across to the States to work. And that's not happening. So um, I just realized why am I a part of the Musicians Union when they really have done nothing for us? You know, if we could if we brought a complaint about a venue, they're not doing anything about it. I I think that needs to be started up again and have concrete backing.
0: I've heard I've actually heard nothing from about on anywhere about the Musicians Union. The and quiet. It's the, like a the, dying the thing. The one the one group of people that should be standing up for all this, to in my mind, should be the music musicians. Union. union, and they haven't said union. a word. No, During there, this pandemic, a, the CERB, there nothing. There has been not, absolutely nothing. Unison has been front and center. Yeah. But the the union itself, has I've heard nothing.
1: Nothing. ACTRA, because I'm also part of ACTRA Union for acting and commercials and stuff, they've been very vocal. Mm-hmm. They've been going out and battling for actors which is what i would have loved to have seen the music federation do for us as musicians and they're doing nothing
0: oh and it's the question is ridiculous. why? you've got all those musicians you still got a lot of musicians out there paying their dues and the union doesn't seem to be doing squat
1: yeah and i, I you know i have who uh, plays trumpet for a lot of musicals and stuff and he told me that the musician union is very good for that that line of work when you're in the the pit the orchestra pit in a musical that's why he pays the dues because it's great because you could you have a retirement fund you know pension all that stuff right, right. yeah but still a lot of us don't
0: so one area I've, of all of the Of all the organizations that should be making a lot of noise, I would have thought the Musicians' Union would have been on top of this and fighting for things like CERB at the federal level. Going back to collaboration, collaboration among musicians, everybody seems to have their own sort of little pockets. So I'm wondering if those pockets are now going to sort of open up so I'm wondering if the musicians are going to start to break out of their normal molds and groups and maybe collaborate a little bit more, experiment a little bit more. Well, Cause you're a blues singer primarily. Yeah. With that gospel. would
1: gospel and R and B. Depends if that would include them in the ten-person bubble.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but even you even know even what I'm has, saying? Yeah, I know. I'm just I mean, joking. But there's collaborations across Zoom as well. I mean, people Absolutely. are writing little bits and pieces and they send it off to a friend <laughs> and say, yeah, what do you think? And, it you know, and things start to gel. Yeah,
1: I think for me personally, anybody who wants to write, I will write. And if it's a rock song, it's a rock song. If You know, whatever comes out. I think there is definitely room for collaborations. Um, f- funny that you say that because um, this morning... As um, we are organizing and scheduling for our next few jams, I this thought came to me. I said, "Why don't we use the time to write something while we're together? You know, let's come up with a new song. You know, this could be a whole new thing that evolves into us becoming some hit band down the road. I don't know, right? So why not? Let's get creative. We don't have to just do cover songs.
0: Is it two? Is it three or four of you that are jamming?
1: There's six of us."
0: Do you think this might be a golden opportunity for musicians in our own backyard? Because everybody's on the same playing field, right? Nobody's working,
2: mm-hmm.
0: so nobody's got a whole lot of money. Those three or four hundred dollar tickets are not going to fly anymore—at least yeah. not for a long time. Yes, right. People want live entertainment, so is it going to make communities focus more on their community and the, the, the musicians within their own community? is this a good opportunity for the musicians to shine you know everybody says go local and so if you've got 20 or 30 people in an audience Mm. that can be safely distanced they tell us to eat local buy local how about listen local
1: yeah I think that's a great idea I never even thought of it that way being more local because I think as musicians we're always thinking bigger trying to get out there, to be seen by the masses, when really and truly we can do it in our own backyard. Um, Even more so in the backyard. Yeah, I think we need to focus more.
0: If it's the go local scene.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea. You just put this idea now in my head, maybe even do a a drive-in somewhere.
0: What have you learned from all this? That life is short.
1: To live it to the max. To take more time out for myself. Be patient and not rush into anything. I learned a lot about myself during this pandemic. I learned a lot about myself. But I cannot really worry about something I have no control over. What will happen will happen. What I do know is that I will always love music. I will always love to sing and perform. And I think because of that passion and drive, something will come up where I'll still be able to do it and make a good living, honest living out of it. So interesting how everybody, and I say everybody in the most-
0: General General form.
1: Um, they say they wanted, oh, I wish I could sing. I wish I could be a singer, a musician but they don't realize all the work behind it and how hard it is to make a living at it.
0: It's a tough life. It's
1: a very tough life, but I would never trade it for anything. Living your passion, whatever it is, if it's an engineer, if it's working at McDonald's.
0: Two positives to come out of this, one personally and one professionally.
1: Personally? I have grown immensely in my faith and professionally, I have grown immensely vocally. Those are two things I've been working on that I love and sustains me in so many ways and has allowed me to, to ele- be elevated and I'm so thankful. I'm, I'm, although the pandemic, yes, has had some serious blows um, to all our lives, there's a part of it that I'm feeling thank you. I needed this. I needed this time of reflection. I need this time with my son to be with him. I need this time to reflect on life. What am I doing?
0: So. I'm still trying to figure out why I want to be when
1: I grow up. <laughs> oh, yep. Me too.
0: You know. So, everybody's got their favorite band. Their heroes. Yeah. Who would be your dream act to open for? Shaka
1: Khan. Ooh. Nice one. I've been listening to quite a bit of her music lately, even the obscure stuff that were on the B side of an album. And I'm just blown away by her talent. Also, she did like one of my Instagram posts when I sang one of her songs. So (laughs) I was taken back by that. So I would love to open up for Shaka Khan. Now, if this person was still living, I would say definitely Whitney Houston. But Chucka Khan would be incredible to open up for. And
0: that's it? That's it? That is We're just it. getting started, We're Pat. just getting started. You've just listened to an interview I had with vocalist Keisha Wynn back in July 2020. Many thanks to Keisha for the laughs, snacks, and a great conversation. Thank you everyone for all your support and sharing your time and inviting us into your cars, homes, and offices. If you'd like to continue listening to what these musicians have to say, follow me on Podbean or any one of the platforms you're using and you'll be notified automatically when the next conversation is published. I am Pat Blythe and you're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening.